Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Two years ago, at Molten. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Noma Falls in the Columbia Gorge, a conversation with my neighbor left me questioning the existence of cryptids. She claimed to have seen Dogman leap over a stone wall near the falls a memory etched in her mind. Late in the evening, around 11.30 p.m., the falls were illuminated, casting an ethereal glow. She spotted Bigfoot's unmistakable silhouette, covered in fur, leaping with surprising agility over the wall. The bright lights revealed every detail of this massive and mysterious being. Fear washed over her as the creature swiftly disappeared into the dark forest. News of the sighting spread, 
sparking curiosity and excitement in our community. People flock to the falls, hoping for their own glimpse of this elusive creature. The encounter fascinated me, prompting countless nights searching for answers. Armed with a camera, I scoured the area but found no evidence. That day is etched in my memory. We had a contract with the USFS to cut silvertip Christmas trees, and it was just another morning after a light overnight snowfall of about 3 inches. Little did we know what awaited us in the snow-covered landscape. Approaching our worksite, we spotted fresh bare footprints in the snow. Only our vehicle's tire tracks accompanied them. These footprints were unique, resembling the size of a 9 or 10-year-old child. Driven by curiosity, we followed the footprints as they emerged from the trees and led down the road for around 100 feet before vanishing back into the forest. The sharp and distinct edges indicated their freshness. They couldn't have been there for long. Oddly, there were no tracks or disturbance beneath the branches of the tall timber. It seemed as if the footprints had materialized out of thin air and vanished without a trace. The origin and destination of the tracks remained elusive. If necessary, I can provide USFS road numbers and map information for further investigation. This intriguing encounter left us with more questions than answers. And no, they were no human or animal prints. On a 41-foot sailboat in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay, with about seven other men, doing a shakedown test cruise. Planned to be out for about 12 hours. Mid-1980s, not as reliable weather prediction resources. We get caught in a tropical storm, winds gusting into the 50 miles per hour range, just this short of a weak hurricane. We had just barely rigged storm hawsers and storm sails because the one fellow on board, who was the best sailor since the storm was almost on us, otherwise we would have died. During the storm itself, I expected to die at any time. In fact we made a securite, securite. Call on the radio, if you have time at sea you know what I'm talking about, if not, it's not that important. For what seemed like 15 minutes, we were in a maelstrom, no visibility, but then it passed. We would live. This was at about 3 p.m., and although there was cloud cover of course, the ambient light was such that you could see two miles or so in any direction. If you're familiar with the sea, you know that such storms, particularly in shallower depths near land masses, dredge a lot of things of the sea floor. The sighting, we're all on deck, working lines, checking damage, etc. And the bay around us is choppy and churning and foaming. Old-timey sailors often use the saying the sea is confused. I look about 15 feet of the starboard side and something swims to the surface, breaks the surface, looks at us, then submerges again. It was like a thin man, with humanoid shape, arms articulated like a man, a human head, but its skin was covered in scales like a snake. It looked at us, blinked its weird, heavy-lidded eyes, then dove back under. So maybe you need to know a few things about me at that moment. No drugs, no alcohol, no injuries. I was elated because I was glad to be alive, but my senses in that situation were sharpened, not dulled. I had, at that time, 
about six years experience on ships and fishing boats, and had seen squid, octopi, flying fish, sharks, skates, etc. All around the world. I was not the type of guy to see a patch of seaweed and call it a sea monster. I made an instant decision that I was not going to say anything. What could I say? I just saw a strange creature, take my word for it. The men on this boat were all mechanics and engineers and professionals. Why get a reputation as a flake? At the time it was important for each of us to get D skipper or OOD qualifications, and saying something like that would be frowned upon. And as I stood there in my life vest, soaking wet, hooked onto the steel lifeline, glad to be alive, one of the other sailors, AUSN Captain Jack, with over 30 years experience in the surface navy, piped up and said, I just saw a brown thing pop up on the surface. It looked like a lizard man, with a scaly face. It blinked at us with these big eyes and then went back under. Yeah, I saw it too, I said. No one else said that they had seen it. Then we sailed back to the pier later that day and didn't speak of it again. Coda, A. Everything I've written above is the truth. B. This is the internet. For all you now I may be a dog, a brain floating in a jar making up stories, or a landlubber who's never even been to the beach. C. No I don't have pictures, and if I did wouldn't people say they were faked? D. I am well aware that a momentary glimpse of something on the surface of the sea is notoriously unreliable, and the mind and eye and the imagination play tricks on people, even in the best of times. E. If you have read all of this, thank for your time and for the invitation to share my experience. I grew up in the Arctic. In the town I lived in, as long as it was a clear night, it was an extremely normal occurrence to see all sorts of strange lights move across the sky. Keep in mind the winter is long in the Arctic, which means longer amounts of time being spent under the stars. It's quite beautiful, as long as you don't mind the cold so much. Sometimes I would drive a snowmobile a few kilometers out of town, shut it down, and just lay down on the snow looking up at the majesty of it all, the only thing disturbing the silence being the occasional breeze. The northern lights are also a common occurrence. Doesn't happen every day, but often enough that they start getting ignored after a while, as long as they aren't too spectacular anyway. On one particular night, without asking my parents, it was their snowmobile, I decided to go on one of my midnight drives out of town. I drove a few kilometers over the hills to find a spot devoid of light pollution from town, shut off the machine, and settled into a good spot to look up and be introspective. It wasn't all that interesting a scene. A few satellites passing here and there, some relatively boring activity affecting the magnetic field, etc. And then I started noticing a clicking noise. At first I thought it was the sound of the snow machine cooling down as engine expands and contracts a lot in the cold. But the source of the sound definitely wasn't coming from that direction. My next thought was there must be an animal nearby in which case I need to get out of there fast, you don't really want to mess with a wild animal. But, the clicking is far too regular for an animal to produce it. It was fairly mechanical sounding. And again, the source of the sound isn't coming from anywhere around me laterally. It was coming from up. 
So naturally I look up determined to ascertain the origin of this strange noise. I see what I always see, stars, northern lights, a lazy satellite crossing the sky. All normal stuff. But before I dismiss it altogether and begin heading home, I notice something strange in the aurora borealis. There were three rather strong points of light. I ignored them at first thinking they were oddly symmetrical stars, but this proved false. They were definitely getting brighter. I kept staring in morbid fascination as they grew stronger and stronger, yet still only remaining single points in the sky. All the while the clicking noise is getting louder and louder and more pronounced, almost like someone started with tapping a pen on a desk to clacking VR balls together inside my head. Then it stops. The lights are gone, the clicking is not heard, and aside from being a little stiff, cold, and rather petrified, I'm fine. So I jump back on the snowmobile thinking maybe I'm going crazy. The machine takes a little longer than usual to start up, and I'm beginning to worry, but soon it's running and I'm heading back to town. As I'm driving back several plausible scenarios as to what occurred are running through my head. I'm thinking it could have been a helicopter from the mine, or some strange northern lights behavior etc. Probably not that big a deal. I pull up to my house. Lights are all dark. Strange. It wasn't that late when I left. Open outer door as quietly as possible, remove winter gear, enter inner door. House is quiet. Really quiet. My parents are teachers and are usually up late marking or watching TV all I'm thinking is I have to get to bed without anyone noticing. Proves to be easy as I'm soon under my covers. I go to set my alarm for the next day. All of the sudden everything makes sense. Engine hard to start, stiff, rather chilly, nobody up when I was gone what felt like relatively short period of time. It was almost 11 p.m. when I left, and now it was creeping up on 6 a.m. I stood, staring at clicking lights for almost 7 hours. I never ended up sleeping that night, and I don't go on late night snow machine rides anymore. Our team of Navy SEALs was on a covert operation near Japan, searching for vital intelligence concerning China's possible invasion of Taiwan. I led the team, with Joe as my second-in-command, a seasoned warrior with a wealth of experience. Little did we know that this seemingly routine operation would lead us to the edge of our sanity. Joe, ever curious and adventurous, discovered a hidden underwater cave system during one of our reconnaissance missions. Intrigued by the mystery that lay within, he decided to gather a small group of five men, including myself, to investigate further. We donned our diving gear and descended into the depths, unaware of the horrors that awaited us. As we explored the labyrinthine cave system, our excitement turned to unease. The oppressive silence weighed heavily upon us, and an inexplicable sense of foreboding crept into our hearts. It was then that we unknowingly disturbed a nest of aquatic cryptids that had been lurking in the shadows, their existence unknown to the world above. The first sign of danger came with a sudden surge of movement in the water, accompanied by an eerie silence that seemed to suffocate the very air we breathed. Our senses heightened, we realized we were being hunted. Vicious creatures, born of nightmares and hidden from human eyes, closed in on us with savage intent. 
A battle for survival ensued, as we fought tooth and nail against the relentless onslaught of these aquatic horrors. Our training and instincts kicked in, but the cryptids were unlike anything we had ever encountered. Their strength, speed, and ferocity were otherworldly, pushing us to the brink of our physical and mental limits. One by one, my comrades fell to the cryptids' relentless assault, leaving only Joe and me to face the horrors that dwelled within the abyss. We fought with everything we had, employing every ounce of skill and determination to escape their clutches. But it was Joe, with his unwavering resolve and indomitable spirit, who found a way to lead us out of the abyss and back to the surface. After barely surviving the ordeal, Joe made a fateful decision. He chose to keep the existence of the cryptids a secret, forever buried within the depths of the Pacific. He understood the consequences of revealing such a horrifying truth to the world, knowing that panic and chaos would ensue. And so, we returned to our lives, carrying the weight of the horrors we had witnessed deep within our souls. We never spoke of the cryptids again, silently accepting the burden of our experiences and the sacrifices made by our fallen comrades. It was a testament to our unwavering loyalty and dedication to protecting our nation, even when the threats we faced lurked in the shadows, forever hidden from the world's gaze. Not my story, but one my family has shared with me as they are close with one of our fellow reservation officers. My uncle, a police officer on the Navajo reservation, was out in his squad car patrolling the area when he comes across something moving in the shadows of the mesa. He slowed down to get a better look at what was out during patrol hours, and what emerged from the shadows was not any kind of animal my family has seen before. It stood on its hind legs, just like a man, but its body resembled that of a canine. It had long arms that dragged along the ground as it walked towards my uncle's patrol vehicle. The strangest part about this creature were its eyes. They were just these large yellow orbs, and they glowed in the complete darkness with no additional light sources around. My uncle described these orbs similar to headlights while looking at them head-on. At first, he thought he might have come across some sort of demon, so he quickly checked his weapons, firing at this creature. The gunfire did nothing to stop this thing's progression. It continued its steady march towards my uncle, unfazed by blunt force or loss of blood. It took several more shots until the creature slumped over and disappeared from view in a cloud of dust. My uncle got out of his car cautiously, gun drawn, but could find no sign of the thing he had tried to kill, only some large canine tracks leading back up onto the mesa where it stood before continuing into a cave that supposedly had been closed off for safety reasons due to a large rock slide decades ago. He continued to search but found nothing. The next day, my uncle went back to the area and noticed a small patch of gravel where he had shot this creature. The only explanation for this is that the thing dragged out the rocks from its chest and took them back with it to its den in order to use these rocks to somehow patch itself up. As of now, my uncle has since been suspended from his job for misconduct and due to firing his weapon without authorization while on duty. He claims he saw a skinwalker, and I believe him, especially after what happened in New Mexico. Even if there isn't much we can do about it now, they're practically extinct. If you read this, 
Please help us by getting rid of all these things before everybody starts trying to go out and find these things themselves. The world needs much less of these creatures, not more of them. As soon as I turned 18, my parents demanded that I got a job. When three months passed, I was still unemployed. They went out and did it for me. I got hired at my family's ranger business, supplied places with rangers, and we'd go out and protect the park for however long the rangers owners could pay. I started an early winter, I was cold all the time. The job I was working at did not start until about 9 at night, or at least my shift didn't. I had to work until 9 in the morning, 12 hours, 5 days a week. The pay was alright. It was my first day at a new park, a ski resort, and they had hired rangers to act as security. We weren't really as qualified, but my family didn't have the greatest moral compass, so to speak. I started my shift. I talked with a little guy at the front and said it was slow, not much happening. I was glad to hear this, sitting inside and doing nothing for 12 hours. That's what I'd normally be doing anyway. I went inside and met the guy I'd be working with. We'll call him Freddy. He was reading the paper and drinking coffee. First day, he'd asked. Well, I never worked at this place before but I've been working with Tony for quite a while. It's a good business, I trust him, he responded with a little chuckle and went back to sipping his coffee. Nothing happened for a couple of hours. We sat back and relaxed, talked about our lives, and even got into a funny conversation about my uncle. About three hours in, we heard a loud banging at the door. Freddy got up to open it. There was nothing there aside from a trail in the snow leading to the door. There wasn't much we could think about it, maybe a bird or an animal, and I don't know, Freddy said, getting back to his seat. I thought it was a bit weird for a bird to slam into the door fast enough to make a bang that loud and still somehow get back up and walk out of sight. I didn't say anything, I just shrugged, whatever. After even more sitting and talking, Freddy got up and said that he was going to go use the bathroom. He jokingly asked if I could hold down the fort then went outside to use the restroom. I leaned back in my chair, quietly singing a Billy Joel song that had been stuck in my head. When Freddy basically kicked the door in, holding his hand, it was cut up and bleeding badly. I did not think to ask questions, so I shut up, ran to the first aid cabinet, grabbed the wrap, and put it around his arm. What happened out there? I'd asked him. He looked at my eyes and opened his mouth there was another super loud bang on the door. I rushed to the door and locked it. I didn't know what was out there, but I did not feel like waiting for it to realize the door was open. Freddy was screaming in pain. I wrapped his wounds, but it wouldn't keep up forever. I went over to the phone, I picked it up, it called an ambulance. I explained that something attacked my coworker. They asked what, I told them I don't know and they gave me a half-assed will send somebody and I hung up. They asked to stay on the line with them, but I didn't see how that would stop Freddy from bleeding out. Freddy slumped down, leaning against the table in the room. I slapped his face slightly to keep him awake. Freddy, who did this? He cleaned his eyes and couldn't be bothered to keep his head anymore, he was out. His cut was worse than I thought, and the ambulance needed to come very quickly.
As I put a blanket on him, another loud bang at the window made me jump. I looked back and there was a bloody hand on the window. It was a man, and he was begging to be let in. I ran over to the door and unlocked it. I went to the side where he was at, and I didn't see him. Did he run around? I looked down, and my jaw dropped. Right where he was standing was a trail of blood in the snow, going around the wall. I broke out of my shock, turning the corner, and there were the culprits, and just one wolf. But I knew he wasn't the only one there. We both stood there, looking at each other. He snarled, and I gulped. I knew the time it took me to get to the door was a lot less than it took him to get to me. I didn't want to risk it, just in case. I kept standing there. He took a step back. Maybe he's leaving, I thought to calm myself down. But he did not leave. He took a step back and howled, and knowing what was coming, I ran to the door. He stopped. He lunged, biting into the flesh of my leg. I screamed out in pain, but at least he wasn't calling the others back. Or so I thought. He started to tear flesh, and I foolishly attempted to shake him off. He was on there tight, ripping. I tried to push him off, but his teeth only sunk in deeper. Now, I'd put my right hand between my leg and the roof of his mouth, prying his teeth. I limped inside, slamming the door shut. I could see him, these loud bone noises popping, and seeing him now stand up on two legs, looking at me through the door. How I was lucky I had survived. I wasn't sure what to do. I was bleeding out pretty bad, and the only gun I had was in my jeep that was left outside. That's when I saw more of these things. They were upright walking wolves, and they were pacing around this place, moving back and forth, looking in the windows, waiting for one of us to come out. I sat there next to Freddy, holding him, holding myself, trying to keep myself conscious. I was bleeding pretty bad, and these things were out there. I counted at least three of them, three of the largest wolves I'd ever seen in my life. What was going on? As I remember things starting to fade, I couldn't tell you what happened next, but the door burst open, and several EMTs rushed in, attending to myself and Freddy. They loaded me up on a stretcher, threw me in the ambulance, and the next thing I know, I'm being patched up. After this, I never heard from Freddy again and I was quickly removed from that location and reassigned to a different one altogether. I was told nothing. I was not allowed to ask questions, and even now, I live with a nightmare, a nightmare of strange, violent wolves. And had I not made it back inside, I would have been torn to pieces. This wasn't necessarily a lot of time, but I was in solitude, and it was at sea. When I was 23 I was a dockhand for a boat rental club. I bought myself a 27 feet Catalina sail boat and lived on it at the docks for about a year while I worked for the boat club. I would often get toasted on 101 proof peppermint schnapps and go joy sailing late at night on the Chesapeake Bay for kicks. My mainsail tears, and my atomic four engine breaks down. I drift out of the channel, drop anchor, plug in my backup batteries for power for my anchor light, and bed down in my forward berth to wait until morning for one of my co-workers to tow me back in. I'm about a mile offshore, 
well out of the channel in about 60 feet of open water when I hear a rhythmic thudding on my hull beneath me. It was like someone was doing a semi-fast snare roll with closed fists against my hull. There was nothing in my head that I could figure could make that noise happen besides someone diving under by boat and literally beating on it. I went topside with my flashlight to investigate and couldn't see anything out of the ordinary, and the sound continued on and off for about 15 minutes then stopped. It was a calm night with nearly no wind or waves at this point, and I visually couldn't see what could have been making the noise. It came from midship so it couldn't be the motor being weird or something, and I checked my bilges for any anomalies and couldn't find any. It left me pretty shaken up because I just couldn't figure what could make that sound as loudly, and as precisely as it was. I could feel the bumps hitting against the fiberglass hull. I eventually got back to sleep and made it back to the docks next morning. I dove on my boat that day to check for anything amiss and didn't find anything off. Needless to say that was the last time I went out alone at night. Some friends and I used to go exploring in the woods, we were all insomniacs and never slept and we'd even walk around when it was night with flashlights obviously. We'd wander around until we got tired and then turn around. Dumb I know, but we were young and thought we were invincible and we also grew up out there and knew the area really well. Well one day we get really deep in, we've been hiking for over a few days, obviously have taken breaks to rest and eat, we'd been planning this, but we were in the part of the woods we'd never been before. No one really went in this part because there's a rumor it's haunted. There's no particular reason why it's haunted, people just say it is and everyone stays away from it. So obviously that meant the five of us needed to check it out. We've been hiking for a few hours again we stumble upon this. Compound. I don't know what else to call it. It was a bunch of huge brick buildings, I mean hundreds of them. They were all falling apart and caving in, overgrown with ivy, but there weren't any signs anywhere. We decided to check it out. Some of the buildings are pretty unsafe, the floors have caved in, but we're so fascinated wondering WTF is this place until we start to notice something really weird about it. It's these huge buildings, but there are no bathrooms. No kitchens. No closets. Just. Rooms. Just a ton of rooms in all the buildings. They all have chimneys but there's no fireplace except a huge incinerator room that leads into a smaller incinerator room that is like a fake door that leads into an even smaller room with some teeth. We start getting a little freaked out. But we figure it's probably just animal teeth or whatever, so we move on. We decide to go in one last building because it's closer to where we came from and is more in a clearing so we can make a safe getaway if we need one. Now while we're here, the whole time it's been eerily quiet. The buildings have all been really dirty but we start to notice it's also really weird that there's nothing left behind in any of these rooms. No furniture, no clothes, no odds and ends, no beer bottles or chip bags from squatters or teenagers. There's also windows on the outside of the houses but no windows inside, like the rooms are just walls. We climb into this house through a hole on the side of the wall because the door won't budge. It's small and some of us have to squeeze in. I go in first and I immediately feel. Just weird. Like bad. 
I tell them to hold on but they make it sound like I'm being silly so we laugh it off and they all come in but then we all feel weird. We notice this is the first staircase we've been able to find, all the other buildings have three stories but there were no staircases anywhere. This staircase is right to the side as soon as walk in. We all kind of look at each other like we want someone to say we should leave but none of us want to be a little bitch so we decide to go up the stairs. My friend and I go first to check it out, and again it's just a bunch of empty rooms. But my friend and I start getting really creeped out. Our other friends are exploring and find this creepy ass book sitting on like this beam in the middle of one of the rooms. And then we notice a door to the side, which is weird because there haven't been any doors, so we decide to open it and immediately. We want to scream. But we suppress it. We know we can't. There's blood everywhere. It's a bathroom. A small tiny bathroom with a tub. There's blood in the tub and the walls and the mirror and marks where it looks like someone was dragged but was trying to pull themselves away. We take some pictures before we get the F out of there and we turn around and our faces are just pale. Our friends ask us what's wrong and we say nothing, it's just a closet. But we know we need to leave immediately, we feel like we're being watched so we don't say what we saw. We continue checking around and saying how cool stuff is, we don't want to let up we saw anything. But then our friends start going down the hallway, even though it's so dark down there that their flashlights won't even work. We look at each other, knowingly, and we grab them and say hey let's check out this room first to the side because we missed it. So we put them closer to the stairs and us closer to the hallway, in order to try and get them away from whatever we feel like is down there. Our friends are clueless and peek into the other empty room while my friend and I hear something move, something definitely human. I can't describe it, but I know it wasn't an animal, it's like a shuffle across the floor and almost a whisper. Our flashlights all start to go out one by one, which we think is weird, but we're telling our friends is just probably because of the batteries. We tell our friends we gotta go check out that room we missed downstairs first before we come back up here and check out the cool hallway. My friends don't know what's going on so they start going down the stairs. A marble rolls down the hallway. One. Single. Marble. We all freeze. We see a big hunting knife downstairs that wasn't there before, you can see part of the room downstairs from upstairs. By this time my friends know something is wrong. Something creaks. We shout run. We run down the stairs, but we all have to fit through the tiny hole, but something is blocking it. We're freaking out. We hear laughing. My friend and I break the glass on the door and kick through the rotten wood, but it's still a smaller just bigger hole, we send them through, then my friend goes. I'm in the doorway. I look up. I see a sliver of two or three figures in different parts of the house, I see a blade in one of their hands. We all book it, I mean we ran faster than I've ever run in my life. We didn't stop for hours, we just kept running and running and running. We told our friends not to stop, we said we have to keep going. Eventually, all of a sudden, we just felt this weight lift off our shoulder. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It was like the woods even got lighter, more beautiful. We slowed down, we kept walking for a while until we were absolutely positive and we went through some riverbeds to throw off our tracks and set some fake ones. Our friends had no idea what was going on so we finally tell them that someone was in that house or building or whatever and was about to straight up murder us or do something worse and that we had found someone's murder bathroom. We show them the pictures and they start freaking out and are upset we didn't show them even though they admit they would have screamed which would have for sure given us away. We all were silent the rest of the way out because we were so scared. We finally make it out a while after as the sun is rising and we call the police but they don't believe us, we were just teenagers at the time. We can't even tell them where it was because we stumbled upon it and we were so freaked out. A few days later there's a fire in the woods. They find some remnants of structures and a few buildings are left standing, but not the one we were in, and no evidence of someone living there, but everyone in town thought it was weird but in a cool way, except us obviously. The police said if anyone was there it was probably just a buck they were skinning and that's all. But I know it wasn't. My friends and I have never talked about it again, it's kind of like an unspoken rule, and we never go to those part of the woods, not even in that general direction. A friend of mine, known as Damo, was an avid fisherman and he and his dad used to go out sea fishing whenever they could. A few years ago he told me this story and it creeped the hell of me so this seems like an appropriate place to tell it. Damo and his dad were on the second night of a trip deep sea fishing and they decided to get some sleep in the early evening so they could go for whatever fish they were after at around 1am, the best time to get this fish apparently. Anyway they only had a smallish boat but the weather was extremely pleasant and the sea was calm to the point of stillness so they figured it would be a great night's fishing for them. Around 12.30am they started to set their gear up and, as they were on the starboard side getting bait ready, they heard a loud splash on the port side. As there was almost no swell they figured it was either a large fish or some gear had somehow fallen in so they went over to have a look. Floating face up in the water only a few feet from the side of the boat was a young woman, they reckoned she couldn't have been more than about 30 at the most. She showed absolutely no signs of decomposition bloating and there was nothing tangled in her hair all of which would normally suggest she had been in the water for some time. She was wearing a simple white skirt and a blue-colored strappy top, both of which were clean and apparently looked barely wet, again, all indicating she had only just gone in the water. She showed no signs of damage like having been beaten or attacked and her eyes and mouth were shut. Damo said she looked totally peaceful and like she was simply asleep and just floating on her back in the water. They were both totally freaked out by the whole thing but reacting more to the need to make sure she was okay, instead of just standing there trying to work out where she came from, they tried to wake her up, shouting to her etc, and they threw a line to her hoping they may catch her enough to pull he back in. She showed no signs of movement and the splashing around they were making with the rope served only to let her body drift further away from the boat. When she was a few meters away, 
Damo ran off to grab a fishing rod, hoping they could pull her in that way and his dad ran to the cabin to try and call a coast guard for help. When Damo got back to the side, she had vanished. He frantically searched around and splashed into the water with the rod, thinking she had bobbed underwater or even drifted under the boat somehow, but the body had vanished. Eventually his dad, figuring they couldn't just leave a potential dead or unconscious body floating in the water, jumped in and swam over to where she had last been, hoping he may find her under the surface but they couldn't find anything. They did eventually drive the boat around in a good half-kilometer circle but they never saw the body again. The Coast Guard did come out, and obviously Damo and his dad were kind of interrogated to make sure they hadn't murdered dumped the body, but nothing came of it all. The freakiest thing about it all was that the boat was thoroughly checked before they had set out fishing the day before so they could say with certainty that there had been no woman on board when they set off, either a dead body or a stowaway homeless woman. The apparently fresh state of the body kind of removed the possibility that she had been in the water a while and that they just found the body and they were far enough out from land, and nowhere near any other boats, that her appearance there was just totally unexplainable as was the way the body just disappeared. Damo and his dad hadn't been gone more than 20 seconds from the side of the boat but in that time the body just vanished. They were both really shaken by the whole thing and were most terrified by the fact that her appearance was preceded by the heavy splash in the water, to them suggesting the body had only just entered the water from their own boat. They tell the story now as a kind of you won't believe what happened to us once type thing but it shook them badly and neither has been back to the same fishing spot since. Sorry it's a long one but it's so creepy it felt like it deserved to be explained fully. When I was 15, I was at a boy scout camp in Illinois. My tent mate was sick, so he went home on Tuesday. Wednesday night, I'm alone in my tent and I heard what heard like thuds between 10 and 12 a minute. I thought little of it and went to sleep. Thursday night, alone again, I need to take a shit about 1 am. I walk up to the latrine, and behind me, I start to hear those thuds. Someone is chopping wood with our troops axe at 1 in the morning. Someone who then stops, looks directly at me, and then walks away into the woods. I've never been so scared in my life. I heard laughing accompanying the chopping later that night. I reported it to the camp staff, and they did an investigation, which revealed that others heard what I had and one had even seen the same thing, and to this day, five years later, has come up empty. This woodchopper hasn't reappeared, and it was confirmed not to be a camper or staff member. One time my boyfriend and I were camping out in the wilderness. It was probably close to around 11 p.m. or midnight and we're both in our tent, laughing and talking before we fall asleep. His dad and stepmom are both doing the same about 50 feet away from us in a camper. The conversation died for a second and, as it was quiet, we hear a freaking roar. Imagine a man full-on roaring, like the most anguished yell I've ever heard before in my life, only it wasn't a man. It was close to it but way bigger, way more powerful sounding. There's no doubt in my mind that this was not human, but I couldn't think of a single animal it actually matched up with. Neither of us are new to the wilderness. 
He grew up in that forest and has probably slept more nights out there than he could count. I'm a really big camping nature enthusiast myself and have heard so many different animals make so many different noises. As this is going on, both of us are completely paralyzed so I know he can hear it right along with me. The noise dies out and, as soon as it's been quiet for more than a few seconds, dozens upon dozens of coyotes start answering back in every direction. Yipping, crying, just everything in this dead quiet forest is completely filled with them calling, all over. This goes on for what feels like forever before the yell comes back out again. All of the coyotes stop at once. The only thing you can hear is that roar. It sounds like it's miles away from us but right next to us, simultaneously. The coyotes all stayed completely silent after that. Both of us have been quiet, listening, the entire time. Then the yell goes dead, there's no noise after. The entire forest is silent and it takes me a minute to ask if he heard it, already knowing that he did. He told me yes, no tone in his voice. Just flat and fast, yes, so I sat frozen in my spot and tried thinking of every animal I've ever heard, in the wild, at the zoo, on nature documentaries. The closest thing I can think of is a person, but almost more primitive. Way bigger, more powerful, more wild. I ask him, do you know what that was? Have you ever heard anything like that before? He answers, with the same dead tone, no. I've never heard that before. Both of us agreed that, despite going through every animal in the almanac we could think of, every state of all those animals, hungry, mating, challenging, dying, that could produce that kind of noise, or what kind of animal could be big enough to even make that kind of call, let alone with that much range and depth, nothing. The next morning we didn't even have to say anything, his dad and stepmom started the morning by asking if we heard it. They said Bigfoot first, just for the record. I don't disagree at all, this is exactly how I decided that I believed in Sasquatch. I've searched on YouTube and I've found some really similar calls. Nothing has matched perfectly, depth, length of call, that sort of thing, but some of them are almost so spot on that I don't have a problem thinking they're made from the same thing. I came to this thread to read other sassy stories but haven't found one yet, so I figured I'd throw in mine. This happened about three years ago and I want to hear it again so bad so I can try to record it. I'll be completely open to somebody suggesting an alternative to what it was, but I promise it wasn't any of these things, cougar, bear, bobcat, lynx, elk, deer, fox, osprey, squirrel, porcupine, beaver, wolf, coyote, person, really drunk, high person, songbird, insect, mouse, dog. This is what my mind looked like, just trying to find an answer. Definitely one of the craziest few minutes of my life. I used to live in Spain because my father was a government official. We lived near an area that was frequented by pilgrims. I saw a few dead bodies while I was there. A lot of the pilgrims are really old, and they can't handle the physical toll that the hike takes, so they suddenly drop dead, or they rest on the side of the road and they never wake up again. I once had the displeasure of seeing one of the corpses up close, the face on the dead woman was contorted, 
She looked terrified like death had taken her by surprise. As for supernatural, I remember in 2013 I got up early, and I traveled to a path that was frequented by pilgrims. I wanted to go stargazing, and there was relatively little light pollution out in the countryside. When I arrived at my usual spot I noticed there was a man in brown robes not too far off in the distance. When I yelled a greeting towards him, he turned his face towards me. He was unnaturally pale as if he were a corpse or gravely ill. His eyes were bloodshot and he looked like he was crying. He said not a word to me and turned around again, continuing to stare off into the distance. I remained for a few minutes, but shivers kept running through my spine, and I decided I shouldn't be there so I left. Later that evening, a train derailed at Santiago de Compostela, which is the end point of the pilgrimage and 80 people died. I think this is all a coincidence, and I probably met some sleepy pilgrim. But I told my grandma and she said it was the spirit of St. James the Muslim killer, as the pilgrim's path is dedicated to him. She says he was trying to warn me of the tragedy that was going to take place later that day. When I was younger, my dad and I went deep sea fishing all the time. The creepiest thing that ever happened to me was when we decided to do a little more surface fishing further out on the open ocean, rather than fish for grouper and whatnot. So I'm sitting with my feet off the edge of the boat, and my dad hooks a fish. It seems pretty big, based on the way it was pulling, so I look over to see if he needs help. Then something slowly brushes my legs. I looked down and there was a 4-5 to five geek barracuda brushing against my legs. I froze, and seconds later it shot off. When my dad felt the line go slack, he started reeling in faster. The barracuda had bitten off most of the fish. It was only a mouth on a hook, really. Pretty creepy. One time we were camping and were talking with one of the locals we came across that lived in the mountains, Appalachian Mountains. He eventually talks us into going down a back gravel road to show us some more of the land. He drives us down this back gravel road and eventually turns off onto a small hill and goes back through a path into a small corner in the woods. There is a group of people in old vans with doors open, propane tanks, and other random non-camping equipment. He cuts the engine and a big dude with a scraggly beard starts slowly walking up to us. At this point we immediately knew they were cooking and gave each other the we need to get the f out of here look. The bearded man starts talking to our driver and arguing about money a bit and then ends the convo. Driver starts up the truck, turns around, and we leave. I felt like I was in the hills have eyes or deliverance. Kinda different story but nonetheless creepy and thought we were going to die. I once climbed the wrong couloir on the middle Teton after getting bad route advice. My camera worked fine before and after entering the couloir but when I tried to take pictures from the base it showed only weird ghostly images of the rock with half the pixels missing. I ended up stranded alone on a ledge at 12,500 feet with no sleeping bag. Search and rescue said I was the third person they knew about soloing the route that year. One died and the other barely survived with a severe brain injury. 
I turned out okay but a dude died the same night on the route I should have been on. Not sure what my camera was trying to tell me. Near where I go to school there's a massive state park that is rumored to have an old Air Force research facility in the back corner of it. The front part is visited frequently by hikers, hunters and whatnot. But if you wander into the back of it far enough you find some really creepy stuff from meth heads to cults to estranged citizens. A couple of good ones come to mind. The ROTC program used to do field training out there once a semester and part of it is a land navigation course. That pretty much consisted of the cadets out in the woods by themselves for around 5 to 6 hours navigating the land. I've heard from multiple people they'll be walking to their next point or take a break on a tree and find human skeletons or bones. Another one that happened to me when some friends and I were hunting exploring one weekend. We were wandering through woods when we came up to a clearing. In the clearing is this old run-down and almost abandoned church. We didn't really think anything of it at first but we noticed that there were things off with it. First the cross on the steeple was upside down. Then we noticed there were no windows on the building itself at all. We were about to come out of the clearing to have a look around when the door opened to it and a man in black robes came out for a minute and then went back inside. That's when we booked it out of there. I have tons of stories of that national park. I hate going there every time we go but the stories that come out of it are something else. First of all, I have been very reluctant to tell this story in fear of being ridiculed. I did send a not so well written report to BFRO some years ago and because I was in fear of being ridiculed, I did not participate in a follow-up investigation and therefore the story was not published. I have read some other reports people have submitted and can relate. Anyway to my story, I was driving one night in the coast range of Oregon above the small town of Falls City. I had some friends with me who will remain unidentified. We drove up the Blackrock mainline road. And turned off onto a small dead-end logging road. As I turned left going up the ridge, I noticed there were some campers in the area. There were several vehicles parked alongside of the road, there were tents and a good campfire burning with people standing around the fire. I drove past the campers slowly and turned my truck around and headed back in the direction in which I came from. As I just started towards the campers I heard a very loud howling type scream. The sound came from my left and behind me, down the hill, not from the area of the camp. The pitch of the scream was from low to high as I recall. The scream was very loud as I heard it over the volume of my stereo which in fact was quite loud at the time. The scream seemed to go on for some time maybe as long as 4 to 6 seconds. We all were scared, the old expression of the hair raising up on the back of your neck is actually true and exactly what happened in this case. I drove out of the area ASAP one of my friends and I returned the following day, during daylight. Even being there during the day gave me the creeps. The campers were gone. I did not get out of the truck and drove out of the area. I have been back to the area a few times over the years, initially to show people the area and during deer hunting season. I will not forget that night. Certainly I cannot say it was a Bigfoot however it was a sound that was totally unnatural to humans, 
A sound I had never heard before and hoped to never hear again. Camping with friends. I went for a walk. I was followed by something. Later it walked up to me and stared from heavy cover, then brocked a large, five-inch diameter, branch to warn me. I looked away and sat with it for 15 minutes before I felt it was safe to get up and go back to friends. We left campsite for the night. We drove back to Bend where we found the evacuation in progress for the Aubrey Hill fire. We had no idea the fire was happening when camping. I've been sailing all my life and have somewhere around 6,000 sea miles as well as years and years of inland dinghy racing experience. The sea just does strange things sometimes. Wind against tide and underwater obstacles causing weird currents create unnatural waves and it starts to feel like the sea is just throwing water at you at random. Fog at sea at night really mess up your senses too. Everything is quiet and you can't see anything but the boat immediately around you. You keep looking for lights on other ships and listening for fog horns or the sound of engines in the distance and your brain starts playing all manner of tricks on you. In a busy shipping lane it's a serious business and in a very real way it could be life or death if you miss a ship that hits you and sinks you. You start to see lights everywhere around you. You start hearing engines creeping up on you. You stop your boat and cut the engine to see if you're hearing anything real and you enter an even stranger world of sensory deprivation. It's eerie as hell. Second edit to add this one I've just remembered, a full solar eclipse. We saw one in the middle of the English Channel and it was the strangest thing. There was thin cloud but the sun was visible through it. We were within the total eclipse zone and could see the shadow coming from miles away. It looked like the biggest, most angry storm I've ever seen. Generally the darker the clouds the more it's going to hurt. This was a darkness as dark as is possible at sea during the day. Talked to my dad about it afterwards and we both felt a real uneasiness getting worse and worse the nearer it got. Our bodies and subconscious were readying us for dealing with a really shitty dangerous situation. It was just like how people sometimes describe sending a ghost. A cold chill and feeling really on edge. It really was like a ghost storm. A lot of sailing becomes instinctual after a while and you get a feeling about what's coming from watching the clouds and waves off on the horizon. The eclipse gave off every sign of absolute nastiness but passed without any real-world effect other than darkness. Really creepy. In Yellowstone, a few weeks back I listened to your podcast covering human and animal mutilation. Super creepy, especially if humans are really being found mutilated like cattle. So of course I tell my hiking buddies all about the episode as the sun sets and really freaks them out. The night is nice, stars are out. The next day I came across a dead rodent right in the middle of the trail that looked to have all the signs of animal mutilation. Eyes are removed, there's a hole at the back of his head that appears to be black or burned. Eye sockets also have a black burned look to them. I obviously didn't check if his spine and organs were there but there was no blood and no insects on the body. Who knows if that was just like the work of bugs and sun but I thought the timing was so stangy. I have a video of this animal I'll upload later if I have time.
But it is really strange because over thousands of miles I've seen plenty of dead animals in various states of decay but this rodent looked perfectly preserved except it was missing eyes and there was just that hole at the back of his head, maybe half an inch wide that appeared blackened and cauterized or burnt. I've never seen this before and there's the timing of it all. Places totally have vibes to them. Some places that we walk through are straight up hair raising and I can never figure out why, yet I've confirmed it with other hikers. He'll usually ask hey did you feel weird back there and they always go yeah. I did. It just didn't feel right. One place in Utah comes to mind, it was a short day hike I did with my girlfriend in Canyonlands NP. Forget the name but the trail took you up the side of old crater, I think they theorize it was a meteor strike ages ago but don't really know. Anyway we got to a spot, sat down, and were immediately overcome with this incredible lethargy to the point where we both wanted to fall asleep on that rock. I'm a pretty disciplined hiker so I stood up and said we can't dally here. Oddly I also had this gut feeling that we shouldn't fall asleep there. And also weirdly my girlfriend said offhand in a joking manner to some other day hikers coming up the trail be careful up there, there's a vortex that will suck you in and put you to sleep. She meant vortex in the hiker context of a town that'll suck you in and keep you doing unplanned zeros. But still, odd choice of language right? And I'm reminded of cases of UFO and fairy abductions that start with people inexplicably falling asleep in the woods in the middle of the day. Speaking of weird places, the AT crosses through an area known as the Bennington Triangle. Going south you'll cross over Glastonbury Mountain and then enter the town of Bennington. Apparently there were four or five missing 411-style disappearances there in the 1940s, Google it, really interesting stories. And the natives avoided the area because they believed devils lived on the mountain. When I walked through the day before I had written a blog post about how the trail was teaching me to follow my gut and how following my gut always seemed to save me from storms and other things like that and just generally turn out good. Well this day I was planning to go through a small town called Manchester Center then climb onto Glastonbury Mountain and camp on the mountain. In Manchester Center I eat a burrito and have the worst stomach cramps I've ever had. Tried using the bathroom, to wait it out nothing. So book a room in a motel. Literally the second I've paid and get to the room my stomach pain goes away. This was cramped so bad that I was walking hunched over that just disappeared in the matter of seconds. But I'd already paid so I stayed. No diarrhea or anything that day. Everything 100% normal after I changed my plans. Climbed the mountain and went into Bennington the next day. Only after I realized that I would have been on the mountain on the night of the full moon. Is that relevant? No idea but it just struck me as very very odd how I wrote about following my gut and then my gut literally forced me to not climb that mountain. Oh on the way down is where the long trail and the at intersect, and that intersection is where a young woman disappeared in the 40s without a trace. Weird. Now that I'm thinking of weird places with bad vibes I'm reminded of this small 5 mile loop I do at home in Missouri. When I walk this I usually always stopped about 3 miles in and turned around. No real reason that's just what I always did. Went in there maybe 4 years ago with an ex-girlfriend and we ate about 1.5 grams of shrooms each. The first hours of the trip were great hanging out about a mile into the loop, 
Then we decided to hike more and entered the section that I unintentionally avoided. It was so strange. The only way I can describe it is that it felt like evil descended on us. I'm getting goosebumps as I write this. I felt this deep pit of despair and depression come out of nowhere and I just knew that that year was when I was going to die. I knew that our relationship was over. We both got real quiet and didn't talk for about half an hour. Then came to this ledge and I kept getting these horrible images of her running full speed charging off this like 80 feet ledge. Then all of a sudden the oppressive energy lifted and we both just burst out like did you feel that what the hell. So she also felt that incredibly negative energy and felt that we were done. Our reactions were very interesting. We both felt like we should focus more on spirituality and develop a stronger spiritual base. I kept having the thought that the greatest lie is that there is no good and evil in this world, if you believe this then you're truly vulnerable to true evil. So after this experience we got into hypnosis a little. She could fall into trance very easily. One session I took her back to that day and she absolutely freaked. She said that we were attacked by a demon who attacked those who are undecided now I'm not religious at all, and still I'm not, and I think this is her Catholic upbringing coloring her experience but I do think there was something very evil there that day in the woods. Also it's fascinating that I just avoided that place intuitively right? Even with these experiences and all the content I listened to regarding the paranormal and missing 411 I don't feel at all threatened or in danger in the wild. I'd say 99% of my time out there I feel as comfortable as if I were sitting on my couch at home. We were built to be in nature and the woods and the wild really are not a threatening place. Spend enough time out there and you truly will feel right at home. Night hiking alone is freaky at first but like anything else you get used to it. It's very peaceful to just walk through the woods bathed in the little glow from your headlamp. It feels a lot like a voyage into another dimension. Funny enough I ended up getting off trail right when I hit New Mexico. Got Jardia and ended up puking and shitting my guts out. Dropped from 178 to 162 pounds in under 2 weeks. It did make me wonder though if my gut wasn't protecting me again. Because New Mexico and the reservation lands are famous for their skinwalkers and I did feel like I was kinda stirring up their attention by writing and talking about them throughout my trip. But none of these is even close to the greatest danger out there. I came the closest to death I ever have on trail right before I left. This was San Juan's in Colorado. We were pushing through late in the season and we got three straight days of freezing rain. It was horrible, one night everyone else got ahead of me and I was pushing up a pass at 12 5k feet followed by a one mile ridge walk at 12k feet. Pushed over the pass right as the sun set and freezing rain started up again combined with winds that were blowing 40-50 miles per hour. I'm so incredibly cold at this point but there's nothing that can be done about it but to keep moving. You can't layer up beyond your rain gear because anything else will just become soaked and useless. Then my glasses start freezing in the rain and I'm getting a horrible refraction glare from my headlamp, that combined with the clouds and freezing rain enveloping the mountaintop brings my visibility down to about a foot. Then I lose the trail so now I'm just literally on the side of the mountain hiking on the side of some pretty steep grades. 
steep enough that if I were to lose my footing I'd slide or fall dozens if not hundreds of feet and possibly off a cliff because those are certainly abundant in the San Juans. At this point I can feel panic and bile at the back of my throat but I know if I panic I'm dead so I just focus and keep moving in the direction where I think the trail is. Eventually I see the light from headlamps up ahead and it was my hiking buddies who were all huddled under a tarp. We never did make it to our intended campsite and instead had a sleepless night huddled under the big tarp all trying to stay warm. I've never been so cold in my life. When we finally got to town I realized feeling wasn't coming back into the tips of my fingers and it took about a week before that numbness went away. Out of all the dangers in the wild nature tops it all.